What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 19 of The Last of the Mohicans. A Narrative of 1757 by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 19 Quote, Salar, Why, I am sure if he forfeit, thou wilt not take his flesh. What's that good for? Shy, To bait fish withal. If it will feed nothing else, it will feed my revenge. Unquote. From the Merchant of Venice. The shades of evening had come to increase the dreariness of the place when the party entered the ruins of William Henry. The scout and his companions immediately made their preparations to pass the night there, but with an earnestness and sobriety of demeanor that betrayed how much the unusual horrors they had just witnessed, worked on even their practiced feelings. A few fragments of rafters were reared against a blackened wall, and when Uncas had covered them slightly with brush, the temporary accommodations were deemed sufficient. The young Indian pointed toward this rude hut when his labor was ended, and Hayward, who understood the meaning of the silent gestures, gently urged Monroe to enter, leaving the bereaved old man alone with his sorrows. Duncan immediately returned into the open air, too much excited himself to seek the repose he had recommended to his veteran friend. While Hawkeye and the Indians lighted their fire and took their evening's repast, a frugal meal of dried bear's meat, the young man paid a visit to that curtain of the dilapidated fort which looked out on the sheet of the hurricane. The wind had fallen, and the waves were already rolling on the sandy beach beneath him, in a more regular and tempered succession. The clouds, as if tired of their furious chase, were breaking asunder, the heavier volumes gathering in black masses about the horizon, while the lighter scud still hurried above the water, or eddied among the tops of the mountains, like broken flights of birds, hovering around their roost. Here and there, a red and fiery star struggled through the drifting vapor furnishing a lurid gleam of brightness to the dull aspect of the heavens. Within the bosom of the encircling hills, an impenetrable darkness had already settled, and the plain lay like a vast and deserted charnel-house, without omen or whisper to disturb the slumbers of its numerous and hapless tenants. On this scene, so chillingly in accordance with the past, 
Duncan stood for many minutes a rapt observer. His eyes wandered from the bosom of the mound, where the foresters were seated around their glimmering fire, to the fainter light which still lingered in the skies, and then rested long and anxiously on the embodied gloom, which lay like a dreary void on that side of him where the dead reposed. He soon fancied that inexplicable sounds arose from the place, though so indistinct and stolen as to render not only their nature, but even their existence uncertain. Ashamed of his apprehensions, the young man turned toward the water, and strove to divert his attention to the mimic stars that dimly glimmered on its moving surface. Still, his two conscious ears performed their ungrateful duty, as if to warn him of some lurking danger. At length, a swift trampling seemed quite audibly to rush athwart the darkness. Unable any longer to quiet his uneasiness, Duncan spoke in a low voice to the scout, requesting him to ascend the mound to the place where he stood. Hawkeye threw his rifle across his arm and complied, but with an air so unmoved and calm as to prove how much he counted on the security of their position. Listen, said Duncan, when the other placed himself deliberately at his elbow. There are suppressed noises on the plain, which may show Montcalm has not yet entirely deserted his conquest. Then ears are better than eyes, said the undisturbed scout, who, having just deposited a portion of bear between his grinders, spoke thick and slow, like one whose mouth was doubly occupied. I myself saw him caged and tied with all his host, for your Frenchers, when they have done a clever thing, like to get back and have a dance or a merry-making with the women over their success. I know not. An Indian seldom sleeps in war, and plunder may keep a Huron here after his tribe has departed. It would be well to extinguish the fire and have a watch. Listen. You hear the noise, I mean. An Indian more rarely lurks about the graves. Though ready to slay, and not over-regardful of the means, he is commonly content with the scalp, unless when blood is hot and temper up. But after spirit is once fairly gone, he forgets his enmity, and is willing to let the dead find their natural rest. Speaking of spirits, Major, are you of opinion that the heaven of a redskin and us whites will be of one and the same? No doubt, no doubt. I thought I heard it again. Or was it the rustling of the leaves in the top of the beach? For my own part, continued Hawkeye, turning his face for a moment in the direction indicated by Hayward, but with a vacant and careless manner, I believe that paradise is ordained for happiness, and that men will be indulged in it according to their dispositions and gifts. I therefore judge that a redskin is not far from the truth when he believes he is to find them glorious hunting grounds, of which his traditions tell, nor for that matter do I think it would be any disparagement to a man without a cross, to pass his time. You hear it again? interrupted Duncan. Ay, ay, when food is scarce, and when food is plenty, a wolf grows bold, said the unmoved scout. There would be picking, too, among the skins of the devils, if there was light and time for the sport. But concerning the life that is to come, Major, I have heard preachers say in the settlements that heaven was a place of rest 
Now men's minds differ as to their ideas of enjoyment. For myself, and I say it with reverence to the ordering of providence, it would be no great indulgence to be kept shut up in those mansions of which they preach, having a natural longing for motion and the chase. Duncan, who was now made to understand the nature of the noise he had heard, answered, with more attention to the subject, which the humor of the scout had chosen for discussion, by saying, It is difficult to account for the feelings that may attend the last great change. It would be a change, indeed, for a man who has passed his days in the open air, returned the single-minded scout, and who has so often broken his fast on the headwaters of the Hudson, to sleep within sound of the roaring Mohawk. But it is a comfort to know we serve a merciful master, though we do it each after his fashion, and with great tracts of wilderness atween us. What goes there? Is it not the rushing of the wolves you have mentioned? Hawkeye slowly shook his head, and beckoned for Duncan to follow him to a spot to which the glare of the fire did not extend. When he had taken this precaution, the scout placed himself in an attitude of intense attention, and listened long and keenly for a repetition of the low sound that had so unexpectedly startled him. His vigilance, however, seemed exercised in vain, for after a fruitless pause he whispered to Duncan, "'We must give a call to Uncas. The boy has Indian senses, and he may hear what is hid from us, for, being a white skin, I will not deny my nature.' The young Mohican, who was conversing in a low voice with his father, started as he heard the moaning of an owl and, springing to his feet, he looked toward the black mounds, as if seeking the place whence the sounds proceeded. The scout repeated the call, and within a few moments Duncan saw the figure of Uncas stealing cautiously along the rampart to the spot where they stood. Hawkeye explained his wishes in very few words, which were spoken in the Delaware tongue. As soon as Uncas was in possession of the reason why he was summoned, he threw himself flat on the turf, where to the eyes of Duncan he appeared to lie quiet and motionless. Surprised at the immovable attitude of the young warrior, and curious to observe the manner in which he employed his faculties to obtain the desired information, Hayward advanced a few steps, and bent over the dark object on which he had kept his eye riveted. Then it was he discovered that the form of Uncas vanished, and that he beheld only the dark outline of an inequality in the embankment. "'What has become of the Mohican?' he demanded of the scout, stepping back in amazement. "'It was here that I saw him fall, and could have sworn that here he yet remained.' "'Sst! Speak lower, for we know not what ears are open, and the Mingos are a quick-witted breed. As for Uncas, he is out on the plain, and the Maquas, if any such are about us, will find him their equal.' You think that Montcalm has not called off all his Indians? Let us give the alarm to our companions, that we may stand to our arms. Here are five of us, who are not unused to meeting an enemy. Not a word to either, as you value your life. Look at the Sagamore, how like a grand Indian chief he sits by the fire. If there are any skulkers out in the darkness, they will never discover by his countenance that we suspect danger at hand. But they may discover him and it will prove his death. His person can be too plainly seen by the light of that fire, and he will become the first and most certain victim. 
"'It is undeniable that now you speak the truth,' returned the scout, betraying more anxiety than was usual. "'Yet what can be done?' "'A single suspicious look might bring on an attack before we are ready to receive it. "'He knows, by the call I gave Uncas, that we have struck a scent. "'I will tell him that we are on the trail of the Mingos. "'His Indian nature will tell him how to act.' The scout applied his fingers to his mouth and raised a low hissing sound that caused Duncan at first to start aside, believing that he had heard a serpent. The head of Chingachgook was resting on a hand as he sat musing by himself, but the moment he had heard the warning of the animal whose name he bore, he arose to an upright position, and his dark eyes glanced swiftly and keenly on every side of him. With his sudden and perhaps involuntary movement, every appearance of surprise or alarm ended. His rifle lay untouched, and apparently unnoticed within reach of his hand. The tomahawk, that he had loosened in his belt for the sake of ease, was even suffered to fall from its usual situation to the ground, and his form seemed to sink, like that of a man whose nerves and sinews were suffered to relax for the purpose of rest. Cunningly resuming his former position, though with a change of hands, as if the movement had been made merely to relieve the limb, the native awaited the result with a calmness and fortitude that none but an Indian warrior would have known how to exercise. But Hayward saw that while to a less instructed eye the Mohican chief appeared to slumber, his nostrils were expanded, his head was turned a little to one side, as if to assist the organs of hearing, and that his quick and rapid glances ran incessantly over every object within the power of his vision. "'See the noble fellow,' whispered Hawkeye, pressing the arm of Hayward. "'He knows that a look of motion might disconcert our schemes, and put us at the mercy of them imps.' He was interrupted by the flash and report of a rifle. The air was filled with sparks of fire around that spot where the eyes of Hayward were still fastened, with admiration and wonder. A second look told him that Chingachgook had disappeared in the confusion. In the meantime, the scout had thrown forward his rifle like one prepared for service, and awaited impatiently the moment when an enemy might rise to view. But, with the solitary and fruitless attempt made on the life of Chingachgook, the attack appeared to have terminated. Once or twice the listeners thought they could distinguish the distant rustling of bushes, as bodies of some unknown description rushed through them. Nor was it long before Hawkeye pointed out the scampering of the wolves, as they fled precipitately before the passage of some intruder on their proper domains. After an impatient and breathless pause, a plunge was heard in the water, and it was followed by the report of another rifle. "'There goes Uncas,' said the scout. The boy bears a smart piece. I know its crack, as well as the father knows the language of his child, for I carried the gun myself until I better offered. "'What can this mean?' demanded Duncan. "'We are watched, and, as it would seem, marked for destruction. Yonder scattered brand can witness that no good was intended. And this Indian will testify that no harm has been done,' returned the scout." dropping his rifle across his arm again, and following Chingachgook, who just then reappeared within the circle of light, 
into the bosom of the work. How is it, Sagamore? Are the Mingos upon us in earnest, or is it only one of those reptiles who hang upon the skirts of a war-party to scalp the dead, go in, and make their boast among the squalls of the valiant deeds done on the pale-faces? Chinchgotchkook very quietly resumed his seat, nor did he make any reply until after he had examined the firebrand which had been struck by the bullet that had nearly proved fatal to himself, after which he was content to reply, after which he was content to reply, holding a single finger up to view, with the English monosyllable, one. I thought as much, returned Hawkeye, seating himself, and as he had got the cover of the lake afore Uncas pulled upon him, I thought as much, returned Hawkeye, seating himself, and as he had got the cover of the lake afore Uncas pulled upon him, it is more than probable the knave will sing his lies about some great ambushment in which he was outlying on the trail of two Mohicans and a white hunter, for the officers can be considered as little better than idlers in such a scrimmage. Well, let him. Let him. There are always some honest men in every nation, though heaven knows, too, that they are scarce among the Maquas, to look down an upstart when he brags again the face of reason. The varlet sent his lead within whistle of your ears, Sagamore. Chingachgook turned a calm and incurious eye toward the place where the ball had struck, and then resumed his former attitude with a composure that could not be disturbed by so trifling an incident. Just then Uncas glided into the circle, and seated himself at the fire with the same appearance of indifference, as was maintained by his father. Of these several moments Hayward was a deeply interested and wondering observer. It appeared to him as though the foresters had some secret means of intelligence, which had escaped the vigilance of his own faculties. In place of that eager and garrulous narration, which a white youth would have endeavored to communicate, and perhaps exaggerate that which had passed out in the darkness of the plain, the young warrior was seemingly content to let his deeds speak for themselves. It was, in fact, neither the moment nor the occasion for an Indian to boast of his exploits. And it is probably that, had Hayward neglected to inquire, not another syllable, just then, had been uttered on the subject. "'What has become of our enemy, Uncas?' demanded Duncan. "'We heard your rifle, and hoped that you had not fired in vain.' The young chief removed a fold of his hunting-skirt, and quietly exposed the fatal tuft of hair, which he bore as the symbol of victory. Chingachgook laid his hand on the scalp and considered it for a moment with deep attention. Then, dropping it, with disgust depicted in his strong features, he ejaculated, "'Oneida!' "'Oneida!' repeated the scout, who was fast losing his interest in the scene, in an apathy nearly assimilated to that of his red associates, but who now advanced in uncommon earnestness to regard the bloody badge. "'By the Lord, if the Oneidas are outlying on the trail, we shall be flanked by devils on every side of us. Now to white eyes there is no difference between this bit of skin and that of any other Indian, and yet the Sagamore declares it came from the pole of a Mingo. Nay, he even names the tribe of the poor devil, with as much ease as if the scalp was a leaf of a book, and each hair a letter. 
What right have Christian whites to boast of their learning when a savage can read a language that would prove too much for the wisest man of them all? What say you, lad, of what people was the knave? Uncas raised his eyes to the face of the scout and answered in his soft voice, Oneida. Oneida again. When one Indian speaks a declaration, it is commonly true. But when he is supported by his people, set it down as gospel. The poor fellow has mistaken us for French, said Hayward, or he would not have tempted the life of a friend. He mistake a Mohican in his paint for a Huron? You would be as likely to mistake the white-coated grenadiers of Montcalm for the scarlet jackets of the Royal Americans, returned the scout. No, no, the serpent knew his errand. Nor was there any great mistake in the matter, for there is but little love atween a Delaware and a Mingo. Let their tribes go out to fight for whom they may in a white quarrel, for that matter, though the Oneidas do serve his sacred majesty, who is my sovereign lord and master, I should not have deliberated long about letting off Kildare at the imp myself, had luck thrown him in my way. That would have been an abuse of our treaties, and unworthy of your character. When a man consort much with a people, continued Hawkeye, if they are honest, and he no knave, love will grow up atwixt them. It is true that white cunning has managed to throw the tribes into great confusion, as respects friends and enemies, so that the Hurons and the Oneidas, who speak the same tongue, or what may be called the same, take each other's scalps, and the Delawares are divided among themselves, a few hanging about their great council fire on their own river, and fighting on the same side with the Mingos, while the greater part are in the Canadas, out of natural enmity to the Maquas thus throwing everything into disorder, and destroying all the harmony of warfare. Yet a red nature is not likely to alter with every shift of policy, so that the love atwixt a Mohican and a Mingo is much like the regard between a white man and a serpent. I regret to hear it, for I had believed that those natives who dwelt within our boundaries found us too just and liberal, not to identify themselves fully with our quarrels. Why, I believe it is nature to give a preference to one's own quarrels before those of strangers. Now for myself, I do love justice, and therefore I will not say I hate a Mingo, for that may be unsuitable to my color and my religion. Though I will just repeat, it may have been owing to the night that Kildare had no hand in the death of this sulking Oneida. Then, as if satisfied with the force of his own reasons, whatever may be their effect on the opinions of the other disputant, the honest but implacable woodsman turned from the fire, content to let the controversy slumber. Hayward withdrew to the rampart, too uneasy and too little accustomed to the warfare of the woods to remain at ease under the possibility of such insidious attacks. Not so, however, with the scout and the Mohicans, those acute and practiced senses, whose powers so often exceeded the limits of all ordinary credulity, after having detected the danger, had enabled them to ascertain its magnitude and duration. Not one of the three appeared in the least to doubt their perfect security, 
as was indicated by the preparations that were soon made to sit in council over their future proceedings. The confusion of nations, and even of tribes to which Hawkeye alluded, existed at that period in the fullest force. The great tie of language, and of course of a common origin, was severed in many places, and it was one of its consequences that the Delaware and the Mingo, as the people of the Six Nations were called, were found fighting in the same ranks, while the latter sought the scalp of the Huron, though believed to be the root of his own stock. The Delawares were even divided among themselves, though love for the soil which had belonged to his ancestors kept the Sagamore of the Mohicans, with a small band of followers who were serving at Edward under the banners of the English king, by far the largest portion of his nation were known to be in the field as allies of Montcalm. The reader probably knows, if enough has not already been gleaned from this narrative, that the Delaware or Lenape claimed to be the progenitors of that numerous people, who once were masters of most of the eastern and northern states of America, of whom the community of the Mohicans was an ancient and highly honored member. It was, of course, with a perfect understanding of the minute and the intricate interest which had armed friend against friend, and brought natural enemies to combat by each other's side, that the scout and his companions now disposed themselves to deliberate on the measures that were to govern their future movements, amid so many jarring and savage races of men. Duncan knew enough of Indian customs to understand the reason that the fire was replenished, and why the warriors, not excepting Hawkeye, took their seats within the curl of its smoke, with so much gravity and decorum. Placing himself at an angle of the works, where he might be a spectator of the scene without, he awaited the result with as much patience as he could summon. After a short and impressive pause, Chinchgochkook lighted a pipe whose bowl was curiously carved in one of the soft stones of the country, and whose stem was a tube of wood, commenced smoking. When he had inhaled enough of the fragrance of the soothing weed, he passed the instrument into the hands of the scout. In this manner the pipe had made its round three several times, amid the most profound silence, before either of the party opened his lips. Then the sagamore, as the oldest and highest in rank, in a few calm and dignified words, proposed the subject for deliberation. He was answered by the scout, and Chinchgochkook rejoined when the other objected to his opinions. But the youthful Uncas continued a silent and respectful listener, until Hawkeye, in complacence, demanded his opinion. Hayward gathered from the manners of the different speakers that the father and son espoused one side of a disputed question, while the white man maintained the other. The contest gradually grew warmer, until it was quite evident the feelings of the speakers began to be somewhat enlisted in the debate. Notwithstanding the increasing warmth of the amicable contest, the most decorous Christian assembly, not even excepting those in which its reverend ministers are collected, might have learned a wholesome lesson of moderation from the forbearance and courtesy of the disputants. The words of Uncas were received with the same deep attention as those which fell from the mature wisdom of his father, and so far 
from manifesting any impatience, neither spoke in reply, until a few moments of silent meditation were seemingly bestowed in deliberating on what had already been said. The language of the Mohicans was accompanied by gestures so direct and natural that Hayward had but little difficulty in following the thread of their argument. On the other hand, the scout was obscure, because from the lingering pride of color he rather affected the cold and artificial manner which characterizes all classes of Anglo-Americans when unexcited. By the frequency with which the Indians described the marks of a forest trail, it was evident they urged pursuit by land, while the repeated sweep of Hawkeye's arm toward the hurricane denoted that he was for a passage across its waters. The latter was to every appearance fast losing ground, and the point was about to be decided against him when he arose to his feet, and shaking off his apathy he suddenly assumed the manner of an Indian, and adopted all the arts of native eloquence. Elevating an arm he pointed out the track of the sun, repeating the gesture for every day that was necessary to accomplish their objects. Then he delineated a long and painful path amid rocks and watercourses. The age and weakness of the slumbering and unconscious Moreau were indicated, by signs too palpable to be mistaken. Duncan perceived that even his own powers were spoken lightly of, as the scout extended his palm and mentioned him by the appellation of Open Hand, a name his liberality had purchased of all the friendly tribes. Then came a representation of the light and graceful movements of a canoe, set in forcible contrast to the tottering steps of one enfeebled and tired. He concluded by pointing to the scalp of the Oneida, and apparently urging the necessity of their departing speedily and in a manner that should leave no trail. The Mohicans listened gravely, and with countenances that reflected the sentiments of the speaker. Conviction gradually wrought its influence, and toward the close of Hawkeye's speech his sentences were accompanied by the customary exclamation of commendation. In short, Uncas and his father became converts to his way of thinking, abandoning their own previously expressed opinions with a liberality and candor that, had they been the representatives of some great and civilized people, would have infallibly worked their political ruin by destroying forever their reputation for consistency. The instant the matter in discussion was decided, the debate and everything connected with it except the result appeared to be forgotten. Hawkeye, without looking round to read his triumph in applauding eyes, very composedly stretched his tall frame before the dying embers, and closed his own organs in sleep. Left now in a measure to themselves, the Mohicans, whose time had been so much devoted to the interest of others, seized the moment to devote some attention to themselves. Casting off at once the grave and austere demeanor of an Indian chief, Chinchgachkok commenced speaking to his son in the soft and playful tones of affection. Uncas gladly met the familiar air of his father, and before the hard breathing of the scout announced that he slept, a complete change was effected in the manner of his two associates. It is impossible to describe the music of their language, while thus engaged in laughter and endearments, in such a way as to render it intelligible to those whose ears have never listened to its melody. 
the compass of their voices, particularly that of the youth, was wonderful, extending from the deepest bass to tones that were even feminine in softness. The eyes of the father followed the plastic and ingenious movements of the son with open delight, and he never failed to smile in reply to the other's contagious but low laughter. While under the influence of these gentle and natural feelings, no trace of ferocity was to be seen in the softened features of the Sagamore. His figured panoply of death looked more like a disguise assumed in mockery than a fierce denunciation of a desire to carry destruction in his footsteps. After an hour had passed in the indulgence of their better feelings, Chingachgook abruptly announced his desire to sleep by wrapping his head in his blanket and stretching his form on the naked earth. The merriment of Uncas instantly ceased, and carefully raking the coals in such a manner that they should impart their warmth to his father's feet, the youth sought his own pillow among the ruins of the place. Imbibing renewed confidence from the security of these experienced foresters, Hayward soon imitated their example, and long before the night had turned, they who lay in the bosom of the ruined work seemed to slumber as heavily as the unconscious multitude whose bones were already beginning to bleach on the surrounding plain. End of chapter 19 This reading by Gary W. Sherwin of Yukon, Pennsylvania In the autumn of 2007Chapter twenty of The Last of the Mohicans A Narrative of seventeen fifty seven by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Chapter twenty Quote, Land of Albania, let me bend mine eyes on thee. Thou rugged nurse of savage men, unquote, by Child Harold. The heavens were still studded with stars when Hawkeye came to arouse the sleepers. Casting aside their cloaks, Monroe and Hayward were on their feet, while the woodsman was still making his low calls at the entrance of the rude shelter where they had passed the night. When they issued from beneath its concealment, they found the scout awaiting their appearance nigh by and the only salutation between them was the significant gesture of silence made by their sagacious leader. "'Think over your prayers,' he whispered as they approached him, "'for he to whom you make them knows all tongues, that of the heart, as well as those of the mouth. But speak not a syllable. It is rare for a white voice to pitch itself properly in the woods.' as we have seen by the example of that miserable devil, the singer. "'Come,' he continued, turning toward a curtain of the works. "'Let us get into the ditch on this side, and be regardful to step on the stones and fragments of wood as you go.' His companions complied, though to two of them the reasons for this extraordinary precaution were yet a mystery. When they were in the low cavity that surrounded the earthen fort on three sides, they found that passage nearly choked by the ruins. With care and patience, however, 
they succeeded in clambering after the scout, until they reached the sandy shore of the Horican. "'That's a trail that nothing but a nose can follow,' said the satisfied scout, looking back along their difficult way. "'Grass is a treacherous carpet for a flying party to tread on, but wood and stone take no print from a moccasin. Had you worn your arm boots, there might indeed have been something to fear. But with the deerskin suitably prepared, a man may trust himself, generally, on rocks with safety. Shove in the canoe nigher to the land, Uncas. This sand will take a stamp as easily as the butter of the Germans on the Mohawk. Softly, lad, softly. It must not touch the beach, or the knaves will know by what road we have left the place. The young man observed the precaution, and the scout, laying a board from the ruins to the canoe, made a sign for the two officers to enter. When this was done, everything was studiously restored to its former disorder, and then Hawkeye succeeded in reaching his little birchen vessel, without leaving behind any of those marks which he appeared so much to dread. Hayward was silent until the Indians had cautiously paddled the canoe some distance from the fort, and with the broad and dark shadows that fell from the eastern mountain on the glassy surface of the lake, then he demanded, "'What need have we for this stolen and hurried departure? If the blood of an Anida could stain such a sheet of pure water as this we float on,' returned the scout, "'your two eyes would answer your own question. Have you forgotten the skulking reptile Uncas slew?' "'By no means. But he was said to be alone.' and dead men give no cause for fear. Aye, he was alone in his deviltry. But an Indian whose tribe counts so many warriors need seldom fear his blood will run without the death shriek coming speedily from some of his enemies. But our presence, the authority of Colonel Monroe, would prove sufficient protection against the anger of our allies especially in a case where the wretch so well merited his fate. I trust in heaven you have not deviated a single foot from the direct line of our course with so slight a reason. Do you think the bullet of that varlet's rifle would have turned aside, though his sacred majesty the king had stood in its path? returned the stubborn scout. Why did not the grand Frencher, he who is captain-general of the Canadas, bury the tomahawk of the Hurons, if a word from a white can work so strongly on the nature of an Indian. The reply of Hayward was interrupted by a groan from Monroe. But after he had paused a moment, in deference to the sorrow of his aged friend, he resumed the subject. The Marquis of Montcalm can only settle that air with his god, said the young man solemnly. Ay, ay, now there is reason in your word, for they are bottomed on religion and honesty. There is a vast difference between throwing a regiment of white coats atwixt the tribes and the prisoners, and coaxing an angry savage to forget he carries a knife and rifle, with words that must begin with calling him your son. No, no, continued the scout, looking back at the dim shore of William Henry, which was now fast receding and laughing in his own silent but heartfelt manner, I have put a trail of water between us, 
and unless the imps can make friends with the fishes, and hear who has paddled across their basin, this fine morning shall throw the length of the horican behind us, before they have made up their minds which path to take. With foes in front, and foes in our rear, our journey is like to be one of danger. Danger, repeated Hawkeye calmly. No, not absolutely of danger, for with vigilant ears and quick eyes, we can manage to keep a few hours ahead of the knaves. Or we must try the rifle. There are three of us who understand its gifts, as well as any you can name on the borders. No, not of danger, but that we shall have what you may call a brisk push of it is probable. And it may happen, a brush, a scrimmage, or some such diversion, but always where covers are good and ammunition abundant. It is possible that Hayward's estimate of danger differed in some degree from that of the scout, for instead of replying he now sat in silence while the canoe glided over several miles of water. Just as the day dawned they entered the narrows of the lake, and stole swiftly and cautiously among their numberless little islands. Footnote. The beauties of Lake George are well known to every American tourist. In the height of the mountains which surround it, and in artificial accessories, it is inferior to the finest of the Swiss and Italian lakes, while, in outline and purity of water, it is fully their equal, and, in the number and disposition of its isles and islets, much superior to them altogether. There are said to be some hundreds of islands in a sheet of water less than thirty miles long. The narrows, which connect what may be called in truth two lakes, are crowded with islands to such a degree as to leave passages between them frequently of only a few feet in width. The lake itself varies in breadth from one to three miles. End footnote. It was by this road that Montcalm had retired with his army, and the adventurers knew not but he had left some of his Indians in ambush to protect the rear of his forces and collect the stragglers. They therefore approached the passage with the customary silence of their guarded habits. Chingachgook laid aside his paddle, while Uncas and the scout urged the light vessel through crooked and intricate channels, where every foot that they advanced exposed them to the danger of some sudden rising on their progress. The eyes of the Sagamore moved warily from islet to islet and copse to copse. As the canoe proceeded, and when a clear sheet of water permitted, his keen vision was bent along the bald rocks and impending forest that frowned upon the narrow strait. Hayward, who was a doubly interested spectator, as well from the beauties of the place as from the apprehension natural to his situation, was just believing that he had permitted the later to be excited without sufficient reason, when the paddle ceased moving in obedience to a signal from Chinchgachkok. Huh! exclaimed Uncas, nearly at the moment that the light tap his father had made on the side of the canoe notified them of the vicinity of danger. What now? asked the scout. The lake is as smooth as if the winds had never blown and I can see along its sheet for miles. There is not so much as the black head of a loon dotting the water. The Indian gravely raised his paddle, 
and pointed in the direction in which his own steady look was riveted. Duncan's eyes followed the motion. A few rods in their front lay another of the wooded islets. But it appeared as calm and peaceful as if solitude had never been disturbed by the foot of man. "'I see nothing,' he said, "'but land and water. And a lovely scene it is.' "'Sst!' interrupted the scout. "'I, Sagamore, there is always a reason for what you do. "'Tis but a shade, and yet it is not natural. "'You see the mist, Major, that is rising above the island?' You can't call it a fog, for it is more like a streak of thin cloud. It is vapor from the water. That a child could tell. But what is the edging of blacker smoke that hangs on its lower side, and which you may trace down into the thicket of hazel? Tis from a fire, but one that in my judgment has been suffered to burn low. "'Let us then push for the place and relieve our doubts,' said the impatient Duncan. "'The party must be small that can lie on such a bit of land. "'If you judge of Indian cunning by the rules you find in books, "'or by white sagacity, they will lead you astray if not to your death,' returned Hawkeye, "'examining the signs of the place with that acuteness which distinguished him. "'If I may be permitted to speak in this matter, it will be to say,' that we have but two things to choose between. The one is to return and give up all thoughts of following the Hurons. Never! exclaimed Hayward in a voice far too loud for their circumstances. Well, well, continued Hawkeye, making a hasty sign to repress his impatience. I am much of your mind myself, though I thought it becoming my experience to tell the whole. We must then make a push. And if the Indians or Frenchers are in the Narrows, run the gauntlet through these toppling mountains. Is there reason in my words, Sagamore? The Indian made no answer other than by dropping his paddle into the water and urging forward the canoe. As he held the office of directing its course, his resolution was sufficiently indicated by the movement. The whole party now plied their paddles vigorously and in a very few moments they had reached a point whence they might command an entire view of the northern shore of the island, the side that had hitherto been concealed. "'There they are, by all the truth of signs,' whispered the scout. Two canoes and a smoke. "'The knaves haven't got their eyes out of the mist, or we should hear the accursed hoop. Together, friends, we are leaving them, and we are already—' Nearly out of whistle of a bullet. The well-known crack of a rifle whose ball came skipping along the placid surface of the strait, and a shrill yell from the island interrupted his speech, and announced that their passage was discovered. In another instant several savages were seen rushing into canoes, which were soon dancing over the water in pursuit. These fearful precursors of a coming struggle produced no change in the countenances and movements of his three guides so far as Duncan could discover, except that the strokes of the paddle were longer and more in unison, and caused the little bark to spring forward like a creature possessing life and volition. "'Hold them there, Sagmore,' said Hawkeye, looking coolly backward over his left shoulder. 
while he still plied his paddle. Keep them just there. Them Hurons have never a piece in their nation that will ex execute at this distance. But Kildare has a barrel on which a man may calculate. The scout, having ascertained that the Mohicans were sufficient of themselves to maintain the requisite distance, deliberately laid aside his paddle and raised the fatal rifle. Three several times he brought the piece to his shoulder, and when his companions were expecting its report, he as often lowered it, to request the Indians would permit their enemies to approach a little nigher. At length his accurate and fastidious eye seemed satisfied, and throwing out his left arm on the barrel, he was slowly elevating the muzzle, when an exclamation from Uncas, who sat at the bow, once more caused him to suspend the shot. "'What now, lad?' demanded Hawkeye. "'You save a Huron from the death-shriek by that word. "'Have you reason for what you do?' Uncas pointed toward a rocky shore a little in their front, whence another war-canoe was darting directly across their course. It was too obvious now that their situation was imminently perilous, to need the aid of language to confirm it. The scout laid aside his rifle, and resumed the paddle while Chinchgochcook inclined the bows of the canoe a little toward the western shore, in order to increase the distance between them and this new enemy. In the meantime, they were reminded of the presence of those who pressed upon their rear, by wild and exulting shouts. The stirring scene awakened even Monroe from his apathy. "'Let us make for the rocks on the main,' he said, with the mien of a tired soldier, "'and give battle to the savages.' God forbid that I or those attached to me and mine should ever trust again to the faith of any servant of the Louis. He who wishes to prosper in Indian warfare, returned the scout, must not be too proud to learn from the wit of a native. Lay her more along the land, Sagamore. We are doubling on the varlets, and perhaps they may try to strike our trail on the long calculation. Hawkeye was not mistaken for when the Hurons found their course was likely to throw them behind their chase, they rendered it less direct, until, by gradually bearing more and more obliquely, the two canoes were ere long gliding on parallel lines, within two hundred yards of each other. It now became entirely a trial of speed. So rapid was the progress of the light vessels, that the lake curled in their front, in miniature waves, and their motion became undulating by its own velocity. It was perhaps, owing to this circumstance, in addition to the necessity of keeping every hand employed at the paddles, that the Hurons had not immediate recourse to their firearms. The exertions of the fugitives were too severe to continue long, and the pursuers had the advantage of numbers. Duncan observed with uneasiness that the scout began to look anxiously about him, as if searching for some further means of assisting their flight. "'Edge her a little more from the sun, Sagamore,' said the stubborn woodsman. "'I see the knaves are sparing a man to the rifle. A single broken bone might lose us our scalps. Edge more from the sun, and we will put the island between us.' The expedient was not without its use. A long, low island lay at a little distance before them. And— as they closed with it, the chasing canoe was compelled to take a side opposite to that on which the pursued passed. 
the scout and his companions did not neglect this advantage. But the instant they were hid from observation by the bushes, they redoubled efforts that before had seemed prodigious. The two canoes came round the last low point like two coursers at the top of their speed, the fugitives taking the lead. This change had brought them nigher to each other, however, while it altered their relative position. You showed knowledge in the shaping of a birchen bark, Uncas, when you chose this from among the Huron canoes, said the scout, smiling, apparently more in satisfaction of their superiority in the race than from a prospect of final escape, which now began to open a little upon them. The imps have put all their strength again at the paddles, and we are to struggle for our scalp with bits of flattened wood instead of clouded barrels and true eyes. A long stroke, and together, friends. They are preparing for a shot, said Hayward, and as we are in line with them, it can scarcely fail. Get you then into the bottom of the canoe, returned the scout, you and the colonel. It will be so much taken from the size of the mark. Hayward smiled as he answered, It would be an ill example for the highest in rank to dodge, while the warriors were under fire. "'Lord, Lord, that is now a white man's courage!' exclaimed the scout, and like too many of his notions, not to be maintained by reason. "'Do you think the Sagamore, or Uncas, or even I, who am a man without a cross, would deliberate upon finding a cover in the scrimmage, when an open body would do no good?' For what have the Frenchers reared up their Quebec, if fighting is always to be done in the clearings? All that you say is very true, my friend, replied Hayward. Still, our customs must prevent us from doing as you wish. A volley from the Hurons interrupted the discourse, and as the bullets whistled about them, Duncan saw the head of Uncas turned looking back at himself and Monroe. Notwithstanding the nearness of the enemy and his own great personal danger, the countenance of the young warrior expressed no other emotion as the former was compelled to think than amazement at finding men so willing to encounter so useless an exposure. Chinchgotchkook was probably better acquainted with the notions of white men, for he did not even cast a glance aside from the riveted look his eye maintained on the object by which he governed their course. A ball soon struck the light and polished paddle from the hands of the chief and drove it through the air far in the advance. A shout arose from the Hurons who seized the opportunity to fire another volley. Uncas described an arc in the water with his own blade, and as the canoes passed swiftly on, Chingachgook recovered his paddle, and flourishing it on high he gave the war-hoop of the Mohicans, and then lent his strength and skill again to the important task. The clamorous sounds of Le Gros Serpent, Le Long Carabine, Le Serfagil burst at once from the canoes behind and seemed to give new zeal to the pursuers. The scout seized Kildeer in his left hand, and elevating above his head, he shook it in triumph at his enemies. The savages answered the insult with a yell, and immediately another volley seceded. The bullets pattered along the lake, and one even pierced the bark of their little vessel. No perceptible emotion could be discovered in the Mohicans during this critical moment, their rigid features expressing neither hope nor alarm. But the scout again turned his head, and laughing in his own silent manner, he said to Hayward, The knaves love to hear the sound of their pieces. But the eye is not to be found among the Mingos that can calculate a true range in a dancing canoe. 
you see the dumb devils have taken off a man to charge, and by the smallest measurement that can be allowed, we move three feet to their two. Duncan, who was not altogether as easy under this nice estimate of distances as his companion, was glad to find, however, that owing to their superior dexterity and the diversion among their enemies, they were very sensibly obtaining the advantage. The Hurons soon fired again, and a bullet struck the blade of Hawkeye's paddle without injury. "'That will do,' said the scout, examining the slight indentation with a curious eye. "'It would not have cut the skin of an infant, much less of men who, like us, have been blown upon by the heavens in their anger. Now, Major, if you will try to use this piece of flattened wood, I'll let Kildeer take part in the conversation.' Hayward seized the paddle, and applied himself to the work with an eagerness that supplied the place of skill, while Hawkeye was engaged in inspecting the priming of his rifle. The later then took a swift aim and fired. The Huron in the bows of the leading canoe had risen with a similar object, and he now fell backward, suffering his gun to escape from his hands into the water. In an instant, however, he recovered his feet, though his gestures were wild and bewildered. At the same moment his companions suspended their efforts, and the chasing canoes clustered together and became stationary. Chingachgook and Uncas profited by the interval to regain their wind, though Duncan continued to work with the most persevering industry. The father and son now cast calm but inquiring glances at each other, to learn if either had sustained any injury by the fire, for both well knew that no cry or exclamation would in such a moment of necessity have been permitted to betray the accident. A few large drops of blood were trickling down the shoulder of the sagamore, who, when he perceived the eyes of Uncas dwelt too long on the sight, raised some water in the hollow of his hand, and washing off the stain, was content to manifest in this simple manner the slightness of the injury. "'Softly, softly, Major,' said the scout, who by this time had reloaded his rifle. We are a little too far already for a rifle to put forth its beauties, and you see yonder imps are holding a council. Let them come within striking distance. My eye may well be trusted in such a matter, and I will trail the varlets the length of the hurricane, guaranteeing that not a shot of theirs shall at the worst more than break the skin, while Kildeer shall touch the life twice in three times." "'We forget our errand,' returned the diligent Duncan. "'For God's sake, let us profit by this advantage "'and increase our distance from the enemy.' "'Give me my children,' said Monroe hoarsely. "'Trifle no longer with a father's agony, "'but restore me, my babes.' "'Long and habitual deference to the mandates of his superiors "'had taught the scout the virtue of obedience.' Throwing a last and lingering glance at the distant canoes, he laid aside his rifle, and, relieving the weary Duncan, resumed the paddle, which he wielded with sinews that never tired. His efforts were seconded by those of the Mohicans, and a very few minutes served to place such a sheet of water between them and their enemies, that Hayward once more breathed freely. The lake now began to expand, and their route lay along a wide reach that was lined, as before, by high and ragged mountains, but the islands were few and easily avoided. The strokes of the paddles grew more measured and regular, while they who plied them continued their labor after the close and deadly chase from which they had just relieved themselves, 
with as much coolness as though their speed had been tried in sport, rather than under such pressing, nay, almost desperate circumstances. Instead of following the western shore, whither their errand led them, the wary Mohican inclined his course more toward those hills behind which Montcalm was known to have led his army into the formidable fortress of Ticonderoga. As the Hurons, to every appearance, had abandoned the pursuit, there was no apparent reason for this excess of caution. It was, however, maintained for hours, until they had reached a bay nigh the northern termination of the lake. Here the canoe was driven upon the beach, and the whole party landed. Hawkeye and Hayward ascended an adjacent bluff, where the former, after considering the expanse of water beneath him, pointed out to the latter a small black object, hovering under a headland, at the distance of several miles. "'Do you see it?' demanded the scout. "'Now what would you account that spot were you left alone to white experience to find your way through this wilderness?' "'But for its distance and its magnitude, I would suppose it a bird. Can it be a living object?' "'Tis a canoe of birch and bark, and paddled by fierce and crafty Mingos. Though Providence has lent to those who inhabit the woods eyes that would be needless to men in the settlements, where there are inventions to assist the sight, yet no human organs can see all the dangers which at this moment circumvent us. These varlets pretend to be bent chiefly on their sundown meal, but the moment it is dark they will be on our trail as true as hounds on the scent. We must throw them off, or our pursuit of Le Renard Subtil may be given up. These lakes are useful at times, especially when the game take the water, continued the scout, gazing about him with a countenance of concern. But they give no cover, except it be to the fishes. God knows what the country would be if the settlement should spread far from the two rivers. Both hunting and war would lose their beauty. Let us not delay a moment without some good and obvious cause. I little like that smoke which you may see warming up along the rock above the canoe, interrupted the abstracted scout. My life on it. Other eyes than ours see it, and know its meaning. Well, words will not mend the matter, and it is time that we were doing. Hawkeye moved away from the lookout and descended, musing profoundly to the shore. He communicated the result of his observations to his companions in Delaware, and a short and earnest consultation succeeded. When it terminated, the three instantly set about executing their new resolutions. The canoe was lifted from the water and borne on the shoulders of the party. They proceeded into the wood, making as broad and obvious a trail as possible. They soon reached the watercourse, which they crossed, and continuing onward until they came to an extensive and naked rock. At this point, where their footsteps might be expected to be no longer visible, they retraced their route to the brook, walking backward with the utmost care. They now followed the bed of the little stream to the lake into which they immediately launched their canoe again. A low point concealed them from the headland, and the margin of the lake was fringed for some distance with dense and overhanging bushes. Under the cover of these natural advantages, they toiled their way with patient industry, 
until the scout pronounced that he believed it would be safe once more to land. The halt continued until evening rendered objects indistinct and uncertain to the eye. Then they resumed their route, and, favored by the darkness, pushed silently and vigorously toward the western shore, although the rugged outline of a mountain to which they were steering presented no distinctive marks to the eyes of Duncan. The Mohican entered the little haven he had selected with the confidence and accuracy of an experienced pilot. The boat was again lifted and borne into the woods, where it was carefully concealed under a pile of brush. The adventurers assumed their arms and packs, and the scout announced to Monroe and Hayward that he and the Indians were at least in readiness to proceed. End of chapter 20 This reading by Gary W. Sherwin of Yukon, Pennsylvania, in the autumn of 2007. Chapter 21 of The Last of the Mohicans, a narrative of 1757 by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 21 Quote, If you find a man there, he shall die a flea's death. Unquote. From Merry Wives of Windsor. The party had landed on the border of a region that is even to this day less known to the inhabitants of the states than the deserts of Arabia or the steppes of Tartary. It was the sterile and rugged district which separates the tributaries of Champlain from those of the Hudson, the Mohawk, and the St. Lawrence. Since the period of our tale, the active spirit of the country has surrounded it with a belt of rich and thriving settlements, though none but the hunter or the savage is ever known, even now, to penetrate its wild recesses. As Hawkeye and the Mohicans had, however, often traversed the mountains and valleys of this vast wilderness, they did not hesitate to plunge into its depth, with the freedom of men accustomed to its privations and difficulties. For many hours the travellers toiled on their laborious way, guided by a star or following the direction of some watercourse, until the scout called a halt, and holding a short consultation with the Indians, they lighted their fire and made the usual preparations to pass the remainder of the night where they then were. Imitating the example and emulating the confidence of their more experienced associates, Monroe and Duncan slept without fear, if not without uneasiness. The dews were suffered to exhale, and the sun had dispersed the mist, and was shedding a strong and clear light in the forest, when the travellers resumed their journey. After proceeding a few miles, the progress of Hawkeye, who led the advance, became more deliberate and watchful. He often stopped to examine the trees. Nor did he cross a rivulet without attentively considering the quantity, the velocity, and the colour of its waters distrusting his own judgment, his appeals to the opinion of Chingachgook were frequent and earnest. During one of these conferences, Hayward observed that Uncas stood a patient and silent, though, as he imagined, an interested listener. He was strongly tempted to address the young chief, and demand his opinion of their progress. 
but the calm and dignified demeanor of the native induced him to believe that, like himself, the other was wholly dependent on the sagacity and intelligence of the seniors of the party. At last the scout spoke in English, and at once explained the embarrassment of their situation. When I found that the home path of the Hurons run north, he said, it did not need the judgment of many long years to tell that they would follow the valleys and keep between the waters of the Hudson and the Horican, until they might strike the springs of the Canadian streams, which would lead them into the heart of the country of the Frenchers. Yet here are we, within a short range of the Saccharoons, and not a sign of a trail have we crossed. Human nature is weak, and it is possible we may have not taken the proper scent. "'Heaven protect us from such an error!' exclaimed Duncan. "'Let us retrace our steps and examine as we go with keener eyes. Has Uncas no counsel to offer in such a strait?' The young Mohican cast a glance at his father, but, maintaining his quiet and reserved mien, he continued silent. Chinchgotchkook had caught the look and motioning with his hand, he bade him speak. The moment this permission was accorded, the countenance of Uncas changed from its grave composure to a gleam of intelligence and joy. Bounding forward like a deer, he sprang up the side of a little acclivity a few rods in advance and stood exultingly over a spot of fresh earth that looked as though it had been recently upturned by the passage of some heavy animal. The eyes of the whole party followed the unexpected movement, and read their success in the air of triumph that the youth assumed. "'Tis the trail!' exclaimed the scout, advancing to the spot. "'The lad is quick of sight, and keen of wit for his years. "'Tis extraordinary that he should have withheld his knowledge for so long,' muttered Duncan at his elbow. "'It would have been more wonderful had he spoken without a bidding. "'No, no!' Your young white, who gathers his learning from books, and can measure what he knows by the page, may conceit that his knowledge, like his legs, outruns that of his father's. But where experience is the master, the scholar is made to know the value of years, and respects them accordingly. "'See,' said Uncas, pointing north and south, at the evident marks of the broad trail on either side of him, "'the dark hair has gone toward the forest.' Hound never ran on a more beautiful scent, responded the scout, dashing forward at once on the indicated route. We are favored, greatly favored, and can follow with high noses. Aye, here are both your waddling beasts. This Huron travels like a white general. The fellow is stricken with a judgment and is mad. Look sharp for wheels, Sagamore, he continued looking back and laughing in his newly awakened satisfaction. We shall soon have the fool journeying in a coach, and that with three of the best pair of eyes on the borders in his rear. The spirits of the scout, and the astonishing success of the chase, in which a circuitous distance of more than forty miles had been passed, did not fail to impart a portion of hope to the whole party. Their advance was rapid, and made with as much confidence as a traveller would proceed along a wide highway. If a rock or a rivulet, or a bit of earth harder than common, severed the links of the clue they followed, the true eye of the scout recovered them at a distance, and seldom rendered the delay of a single moment necessary. 
their progress was much facilitated by the certainty that Magua had found it necessary to journey through the valleys, a circumstance which rendered the general direction of the route sure. Nor had the Huron entirely neglected the arts uniformly practiced by the natives when retiring in front of an enemy. False trails and sudden turnings were frequent, wherever a brook or the formation of the ground rendered them feasible, but his pursuers were rarely deceived, and never failed to detect their error, before they had lost either time or distance on the deceptive track. By the middle of the afternoon they had passed the saccaroons, and were following the route of the declining sun. After descending an eminence to a low bottom through which a swift stream glided, they suddenly came to a place where the party of Le Renard had made a halt. Extinguished brands were laying around a spring, the offals of a deer were scattered about the place, and the trees bore evident marks of having been browsed by the horses. At a little distance Hayward discovered and contemplated with tender emotion the small bower under which he was fain to believe that Cora and Alice had reposed. But while the earth was trodden and the footsteps of both man and beast were so plainly visible around the place, the trail appeared to have suddenly ended. It was easy to follow the tracks of the Narragansetts, but they seemed only to have wandered without guides or any other object than the pursuit of food. At length, Uncas, who with his father had endeavored to trace the route of the horses, came upon a sign of their presence that was quite recent. Before following the queue, he communicated his success to his companions, and while the latter were consulting on the circumstances, the youth reappeared leading the two fillies, with their saddles broken and the housing soiled, as if they had been permitted to run at will for several days. "'What would this prove?' said Duncan, turning pale and glancing his eyes around him, as if he feared the brush and leaves were about to give him some horrid secret. "'That our march is come to a quick end, and that we are in an enemy's country,' returned the scout. Had the knave been pressed and the gentle ones wanted horses to keep up with the party, he might have taken their scalps. But without an enemy at his heels, and with such rugged beasts as these, he would not hurt a hair on their heads. I know your thoughts, and shame be it to our color that you have reason for them. But he who thinks that even a Mingo would ill-treat a woman, unless it be to tomahawk her, knows nothing of Indian nature, or the laws of the woods. No, no, I have heard that the French Indians had come into these hills to hunt the moose, and we are getting within scent of their camp. Why should they not? The morning and evening guns of Ty may be heard any day among these mountains, for the Frenchers are running a new line between the provinces of the King and the Canadas. It is true that the horses are here, but the Hurons are gone. Let us, then, hunt for the path by which they parted. Hawkeye and the Mohicans now applied themselves to their task in good earnest. A circle of a few hundred feet in circumference was drawn, and each of the party took a segment for his portion. The examination, however, resulted in no discovery. The impressions of footsteps were numerous, but they all appeared like those of men who had wandered about the spot without any design to quit it. Again the scout and his companions made the circuit of the halting place, each slowly following the other, until they assembled in the center once more, no wiser than when they had started. 
such cunning is not without its deviltry exclaimed hawkeye when he met the disappointed looks of his assistants we must get down to it sagamore beginning at the spring and going over the ground by inches the huron shall never brag in his tribe that he has a foot which leaves no print setting the example himself the scout engaged in the scrutiny with renewed zeal not a leaf was left unturned the sticks were removed and the stones lifted for indian cunning was known frequently to adopt these objects as cover laboring with the utmost patience and industry to conceal such footstep as they proceed still no discovery was made at length uncas whose activity had enabled him to achieve his portion of the task the soonest raked the earth across the turbid little reel which ran from the spring and diverted its course into another channel as soon as its narrow bed below the dam was dry he stooped over it with a keen and curious eye a cry of exultation immediately announced the success of the young warrior the whole party crowded to the spot where uncas pointed out the impression of a moccasin in the moist alluvian this lad will be an honor to his people said hawkeye regarding the trail with as much admiration as a naturalist would expend on the tusk of a mammoth or the rib of a mastodon i and a thorn in the side of the hurons yet that is not the footstep of an indian the weight is too much on the heel and the toes are squared as though one of the french dancers had been in pigeon-winging his tribe run back uncas and bring me the size of the singer's foot you will find a beautiful print of it just opposite yon rock again the hillside while the youth was engaged in this commission the scout and chingachgook were attentively considering the impressions the measurements agreed and the former unhesitatingly pronounced that the footstep was that of david who had once more been made to exchange his shoes for moccasin i can now read the whole of it as plainly as if i had seen the arts of lipsubtil he added the singer being a man whose gifts lay chiefly in his throat and feet was made to go first and the others have trod in his steps imitating their formation but cried duncan i see no signs of the gentle ones interrupted the scout the varlet has found a way to carry them until he supposed he had thrown any followers off the scent my life on it we see their pretty little feet again before many rods go by the whole party now proceeded following the course of the reel keeping anxious eyes on the regular impressions the water soon flowed into its bed again but watching the ground on either side the foresters pursued their way content in knowing that the trail lay beneath more than half a mile was passed before the reel rippled close around the base of an extensive and dry rock here they paused to make sure that the hurons had not quitted the water it was fortunate they did so for the quick and active uncas soon found the impression of a foot on a bunch of moss where it would seem an indian had inadvertently trodden pursuing the direction given by this discovery he entered the neighboring thicket and struck the trail as fresh and obvious as it had been before they reached the spring another shout announced the good fortune of the youth to his companions and at once terminated the search ay it has been planned with indian judgment said the scout when the party was assembled around the place and would have blinded white eyes shall we proceed demanded hayward softly softly 
we know our path, but it is good to examine the formation of things. This is my schooling major, and if one neglects the book, there is little chance of learning from the open land of Providence. Always plain but one thing, which is the manner that the knave contrived to get the gentle ones along the blind trail. Even a Huron would be too proud to let their tender feet touch the water. "'Will this assist in explaining the difficulty?' said Hayward, pointing toward the fragments of a sort of hand-barrow that had been rudely constructed of boughs and bound together with withes, and which now seemed carelessly cast aside as useless. "'Tis explained!' cried the delighted Hawkeye. "'If them varlets have passed a minute, they have spent hours in striving to fabricating a lying end to their trail. Well, I've known them to waste the day in the same manner to his little purpose. Here we have three pair of moccasins and two of little feet. It is amazing that any mortal beings can journey on limbs so small. Pass me the thong of buckskin, Uncas, and let me take the length of this foot. By the Lord, it is no longer than a child's, and yet the maidens are tall and comely." that providence is partial in its gifts for its own wise reasons, the best and most contented of us must allow. "'The tender limbs of my daughters are unequal to these hardships,' said Monroe, looking at the light footsteps of his children with a parent's love. "'We shall find their fainting forms in this desert.' "'Of that there is little cause for fear,' returned the scout, slowly shaking his head. "'This is a firm and straight, though a light step.' and not over long. See the heel has hardly touched the ground, and there the dark hair has made a little jump from root to root. No, no. My knowledge of it, neither of them was nigh fainting, hereaway. Now the singer was beginning to be foot-sore and leg-weary, as is plain by his trail. There, you see, he slipped. Here he has traveled wide and tottered, and there again it looks as though he journeyed on snowshoes. Aye, aye, a man who uses his throat altogether can hardly give his legs a proper training. From such undeniable testimony did the practiced woodsman arrive at the truth, with nearly as much certainty and precision as if he had been a witness of all those events which his ingenuity so easily elucidated. Cheered by these assurances, and satisfied by a reasoning that was so obvious while it was so simple, the party resumed its course after making a short halt to take a hurried repast. When the meal was ended, the scout cast a glance upward at the setting sun, and pushed forward with a rapidity which compelled Hayward and the still vigorous Monroe to exert all of their muscles to equal. Their route now lay along the bottom, which has already been mentioned. As the Hurons had made no further efforts to conceal their footsteps, the progress of the pursuers was no longer delayed by uncertainty. Before an hour had elapsed, however, the speed of Hawkeye sensibly abated, and his head, instead of maintaining its former direct and forward look, began to turn suspiciously from side to side, as if he were conscious of approaching danger. He soon stopped again, and waited for the whole party to come up. "'I sent the Hurons,' he said, speaking to the Mohicans. Yonder is open sky through the treetops, and we are getting too nigh their encampment. Sagamore, you will take the hillside to the right. Uncas will bend along the brook to the left, while I will try the trail. 
if anything should happen, the call will be three croaks of a crow. I saw one of the birds fanning himself in the air just beyond the dead oak. Another sign that we are approaching an encampment. The Indians departed their several ways without reply, while Hawkeye cautiously proceeded with the two gentlemen. Hayward soon pressed to the side of their guide, eager to catch any glimpse of those enemies he had pursued with so much toil and anxiety. His companion told him to steal to the edge of the wood, which as usual was fringed with a thicket, and wait his coming, for he wished to examine certain suspicious signs a little on one side. Duncan obeyed, and soon found himself in a situation to command a view, which he found as extraordinary as it was novel. The trees of many acres have been felled, and the glow of a mild summer's evening had fallen on the clearing in beautiful contrast to the gray light of the forest. A short distance from the place where Duncan stood, the stream had seemingly expanded into a little lake, covering most of the lowland from mountain to mountain. The water fell out of this wide basin in a cataract so regular and gentle that it appeared rather to be the work of human hands than fashioned by nature. A hundred earthen dwellings stood on the margin of the lake, and even in its waters, as though the later had overflowed its usual banks. Their rounded roofs, admirably molded for defense against the weather, denoted more of industry and foresight than natives were wont to bestow on their regular habitations, much less on those occupied for the temporary purposes of hunting and war. In short, the whole village or town, whichever it might be termed, possessed more of method and neatness of execution than the white men had been accustomed to believe belonged ordinarily to the Indian habits. It appeared, however, to be deserted. At least, so thought Duncan for many minutes. But at length he fancied he discovered several human forms advancing toward him on all fours, and apparently dragging in the train some heavy, and he was quick to apprehend, some formidable engine. Just then a few dark-looking heads gleamed out of the dwellings, and the place seemed suddenly alive with beings which, however, glided from cover to cover so swiftly as to allow no opportunity for examining their humors or pursuits. Alarmed at these suspicious and inexplicable movements, he was about to attempt the signal of the crows when the rustling of leaves at hand drew his eyes in another direction. The young man started and recoiled a few paces instinctively when he found himself within a hundred yards of a stranger Indian. Recovering his recollection of the instant, instead of sounding alarm, which might prove fatal to himself, he remained stationary, an attentive observer of the other's motions. An instant of calm observation served to assure Duncan that he was undiscovered. The native, like himself, seemed occupied in considering the low dwellings of the village, and the stolen movements of its inhabitants. It was impossible to discover the expression of his features through the grotesque mask of paint under which they were concealed, though Duncan fancied it was rather melancholy than savage. His head was shaved as usual, with the exception of the crown, from whose tuft three or four faded feathers from a hawk's wing were loosely dangling. 
A ragged calico mantle half encircled his body, while his nether garment was composed of an ordinary shirt, the sleeves of which were made to perform the office that is usually expected by a much more commodious arrangement. His legs were, however, covered with a pair of good deerskin moccasins. Altogether, the appearance of the individual was forlorn and miserable. Duncan was still curiously observing the person of his neighbor, when the scout stole silently and cautiously to his side. "'You see, we have reached their settlement, or encampment,' whispered the young man. "'And here is one of the savages himself, in a very embarrassing position for our further movements.' Hawkeye started, and dropped his rifle, when, directed by the finger of his companion, the stranger came under his view. Then, lowering the dangerous muzzle, he stretched forward his long neck, as if to assist a scrutiny that was already intensely keen. "'The imp is not Huron,' he said, "'nor of any of the Canada tribes. And yet you see, by his clothes, the knave has been plundering the white. I, Montcalm, has raked the woods for his inroad, and a hooping, murdering set of varlets has he gathered together. Can you see where he has put his rifle or his bow? He appears to have no arms, nor does he seem to be viciously inclined, unless he communicate the alarm to his fellows, who, as you see, are dodging about the water. We have but little to fear from him. The scout turned to Hayward, and regarded him a moment with unconcealed amazement. Then, opening his mouth, he indulged in unrestrained and heartfelt laughter, though in that silent and peculiar manner which danger had so long taught him to practice, repeating the words, "'Fellows who are dodging about the water,' he added, "'so much for schooling and passing a boyhood in the settlements. The knave has long legs, though, and shall not be trusted. Do you keep him under your rifle?' while I creep in behind through the bush and take him alive. Fire on no account. Hayward had already permitted his companion to bury part of his person in the thicket, when stretching forth his arm he arrested him in order to ask, If I see you in danger, may I not risk a shot? Hawkeye regarded him a moment like one who knew not how to take the question. Then, nodding his head, he answered, still laughing, though inaudibly, "'Fire a whole platoon, Major!' In the next moment he was concealed by the leaves. Duncan waited several minutes in feverish impatience before he caught another glimpse of the scout. Then he reappeared, creeping along the earth from which his dress was hardly distinguishable, directly in the rear of his intended captive." Having reached within a few yards of the ladder, he arose to his feet silently and slowly. At that instant, several loud blows were struck on the water, and Duncan turned his eyes just in time to perceive that a hundred dark forms were plunging in a body into the troubled little sheet. Grasping his rifle, his looks were again bent on the Indian near him. Instead of taking the alarm, the unconscious savage stretched forward his neck, as if he also watched the movements about the gloomy lake with a sort of silly curiosity. In the meantime, the uplifted hand of Hawkeye was above him, but without any apparent reason it was withdrawn, 
and its owner indulged another long, though silent, fit of merriment. When the peculiar and hearty laughter of Hawkeye was ended, instead of grasping his victim by the throat, he tapped him on the shoulder and exclaimed aloud, "'How now, friend, have you mind to teach the beavers to sing?' "'E'en so,' was the ready answer. "'It would seem that the being that gave them the power to improve his gifts so well would not deny them voices to proclaim his praise." End of chapter 21 This reading by Gary W. Sherwin of Yukon, Pennsylvania In the Windy Autumn of 2007「The Last of the Mohicans – A Narrative of 1757 by James Fenimore Cooper This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 22 Quote But A bibble We all met Key Pat Pat And here's a marvelous convenient place for our rehearsal. Unquote From Midsummer Night's Dream the reader may better imagine than we describe the surprise of Hayward. His lurking Indians were suddenly converted into four-footed beasts, his lake into a beaver pond, his cataract into a dam constructed by those industrious and ingenious quadrupeds, and a suspected enemy into his tried friend, David Gamut, the master of psalmody. The presence of the latter created so many unexpected hopes relative to the sisters, that without a moment's hesitation the young man broke out of his ambush and sprang forward to join the two principal actors in the scene. The merriment of Hawkeye was not easily appeased. Without ceremony and with a rough hand, he twirled the supple gamut around on his heel and more than once affirmed that the Hurons had done themselves great credit in the fashion of his costume. Then, seizing the hand of the other, he squeezed it with a grip that brought tears into the eyes of the placid David, and wished him joy in his new condition. "'You were about opening your throat practicings among the beavers, were ye?' he said. "'The cunning devils know half the trade already.' for they beat the time with their tails, as you heard just now, and in good time it was too, or Kildeer might have sounded the first note among them. I have known greater fools who could read and write than an experienced old beaver, but as for squalling, the animals are born dumb. What think of you as such a song as this? David shut his sensitive ears, and even Hayward, apprised as he was of the nature of the cry, looked upward in quest of the bird, as the calling of a crow rang in the air about them. "'See,' continued the laughing scout, as he pointed toward the remainder of the party, who, in obedience to the signal, were already approaching. "'This is music which has its natural virtues. It brings two good rifles to my elbow.' to say nothing of the knives and tomahawks. 
but we see that you are safe. Now tell us what has become of the maidens. They are captives of the heathen, said David, and though greatly troubled in spirit, enjoying comfort and safety in the body. Both, demanded the breathless Hayward, even so, though our wayfaring has been sore, and our sustenance scanty, we have had little other cause for complaint, except the violence done our feelings, by being thus led in captivity into a far land. Bless ye for these very words, exclaimed the trembling Monroe. I shall then receive my babes, spotless and angel-like, as I lost them. I know not that their delivery is at hand, returned the doubting David. The leader of those savages is possessed of an evil spirit that no power short of omnipotence can tame. I have tried him sleeping and walking, but neither sounds nor language seem to touch his soul. Where is the knave? bluntly interrupted the scout. He hunts the moose to-day with his young men, and to-morrow, as I hear, they passed further into the forest and nigher to the borders of Canada. The elder maiden is conveyed to a neighboring people, whose lodges are situate beyond yonder black pinnacle of rock, while the younger is detained among the women of the Hurons, whose dwellings are but two short miles hence, on a table-land, where the fire had done the office of the axe, and prepared the place for their reception. "'Alice, my gentle Alice,' murmured Hayward, "'she has lost the consolation of her sister's presence?' "'Even so. But so far as praise and thanksgiving and psalmody can temper the spirit of affliction, she has not suffered.' "'Has she, then, a heart for music?' of the graver and more solemn character, though it must be acknowledged that, in spite of all my endeavors, the maiden weeps oftener than she smiles, and such moments I forbear to press the holy songs, but there are many sweet and comfortable periods of satisfactory communication, when the ears of the savages are astounded with the uplifting of our voices. And why are you permitted to go at large, unwatched? David composed his features into what he intended should express an air of modest humility, before he meekly replied, Little be the praise to such a worm as I, but though the power of psalmody was suspended in the terrible business of that field of blood through which we have passed, it has recovered its influence over the souls of the heathen, and I and suffered to go and come at will. The scout laughed, and tapping his own forehead significantly, he perhaps explained the singular indulgence more satisfactorily when he said, The Indians never harm a non-composer. But why, when the path lay open before your eyes, did you not strike back on your own trail? It is not as blind as that which a squirrel would make, and bring in the tidings to Edward. The scout, remembering only his own sturdy and iron nature, had probably exacted a task that David under no circumstances could have performed. But, without entirely losing the meekness of his air, 
the latter was content to answer though my soul would rejoice to visit the habitations of christendom once more my feet would rather follow the tender spirits entrusted to my keeping even into the idolatrous province of the jesuits than take one step backward while they pined in captivity and sorrow though the figurative language of david was not very intelligible the sincere and steady expression of his eye and the glow of his honest countenance were not easily mistaken uncas pressed closer to his side and regarded the speaker with a look of commendation while his father expressed his satisfaction by the ordinary pithy exclamation of approbation the scout shook his head as he rejoined the lord never intended that a man should place all his endeavors in his throat to the neglect of other and better gifts but he has fallen into the hands of some silly woman when he should have been gathering his education under the blue sky among the beauties of the forest here friend i didn't intend to kindle a fire with this toothing whistle of thine but as you value the thing take it and blow your best on it gamut received his pitch pipe with as strong an expression of pleasure as he believed compatible with the grave functions he exercised after essaying its virtues repeatedly in contrast with his own voice and satisfying himself that none of its melody was lost he made a very serious demonstration toward achieving a few stanzas of one of the longest effusions in the little volume so often mentioned hayward however hastily interrupted his pious purpose by continuing questions concerning the past and present condition of his fellow captives and in a manner more methodical than had been permitted by his feelings in the opening of their interview david though he regarded his treasure with longing eyes was constrained to answer especially as the venerable father took a part in the interrogatories with an interest too imposing to be denied nor did the scout fail to throw in a pertinent inquiry whenever a fitting occasion presented in this manner though with frequent interruptions which were filled with certain threatening sounds from the recovered instrument the pursuers were put in possession of such leading circumstances as were likely to prove useful in accomplishing their great and engrossing object the recovery of the sisters the narrative of david was simple and the facts but few maqua had waited on the mountain until a safe moment to retire presented itself when he had descended and taken the route along the western side of the horican in the direction of the canadas as the subtle huron was familiar with the paths and well knew that there was no immediate danger of pursuit their progress had been moderate and far from fatiguing it appeared from the unembellished statement of david that his own presence had been rather endured than desired though even maqua had not been entirely exempt from the veneration with which the indians regard those whom the great spirit had visited in their intellects at night the utmost care had been taken of the captives both to prevent injury from the damps of the woods and to guard against an escape at the spring the horses were turned loose as has been seen 
and notwithstanding the remoteness and length of their trail, the artifices already named were resorted to in order to cut off every clue to their place of retreat. On their arrival at the encampment of his people, Maqua, in obedience to a policy seldom departed from, separated his prisoners. Cora had been sent to a tribe that temporarily occupied an adjacent valley, though David was far too ignorant of the customs and history of the natives to be able to declare anything satisfactory concerning their name or character. He only knew that they had not engaged in the late expedition against William Henry, that, like the Hurons themselves, they were allies of Montcalm, and that they maintained an amicable, though watchful intercourse with the warlike and savage people whom chance had, for a time, brought in such close and disagreeable contact with themselves. The Mohicans and the scout listened to his interrupted and imperfect narrative, with an interest that obviously increased as he proceeded, and it was while attempting to explain the pursuits of the community in which Cora was detained, that the latter abruptly demanded, did you see the fashion of their knives? Were they of English or French formation? My thoughts were bent on no such vanities, but rather mingled in consolation with those of the maidens. The time may come when you will not consider the knife of a savage such a despicable vanity, returned the scout, with a strong expression of contempt for the other's dullness. Had they held their corn-feast, or can you say anything of the totems of the tribe? Of corn we had many and plentiful feast, for the grain being in the milk is both sweet to the mouth and comfortable to the stomach. Of totem I know not the meaning, but if it pertaineth in any wise to the art of Indian music, it need not be inquired after at their hands. They never join their voices in praise, and it would seem that they are among the profanest of the idolatrous. Therein you belie the nature of an Indian. Even the Mingo adores but the true and loving God. Tis wicked fabrication of the whites, and I say it to the shame of my color, that would make the warrior bow down before images of his own creation. It is true they endeavor to make truces to the wicked one, as who would not with an enemy he cannot conquer. But they look up for favor and assistance to the great and good spirit only. It may be so, said David, but I have seen strange and fantastic images drawn in their paint, of which their admiration and care savored of spiritual pride, especially one and that, too, a foul and loathsome object. Was it a sarpent? quickly demanded the scout. Much the same. It was in the likeness of an object and creeping tortoise. Huh! exclaimed both the attentive Mohicans in a breath, while the scout shook his head with the air of one who had made an important but by no means a pleasing discovery. Then the father spoke in the language of the Delawares, and with a calmness and dignity that instantly arrested the attention even of those to whom his words were unintelligible. 
His gestures were impressive, and at times energetic. Once he lifted his arm on high, and as it descended, the action threw aside the folds of his light mantle. A finger resting on his breast, as if he could enforce the meaning by the attitude. Duncan's eyes followed the movement, and he perceived that the animal just mentioned was beautifully, though faintly worked in blue tint on the swarthy breast of the chief. All that he had ever heard of the violent separation of the vast tribes of the Delawares rushed across his mind, and he awaited the proper moment to speak, with a suspense that was rendered nearly intolerable by his interest in the stake. His wish, however, was anticipated by the scout, who turned from his red friend, saying, We have found that which may be good or evil to us, as heaven disposes. The Sagamore is of the high blood of the Delawares, and is the great chief of their tortoises. That some of this stock are among the people of whom the singer tells us, is plain by his words, and, had he but spent half the breath in prudent questions that he has blown away in making a trumpet of his throat, we might have known how many warriors they numbered. It is altogether a dangerous path we move in, for a friend whose face is turned from you often bears a bloodier mind than the enemy who seeks your scalp. Explain, said Duncan. "'Tis a long and melancholy tradition, and one I little like to think of, for it is not to be denied that the evil has been mainly done by men with white skins. But it has ended in turning the tomahawk of brother against brother, and brought the Mingo and the Delaware to travel in the same path. "'You then suspect it is a portion of that people among whom Cora resides?' The scout nodded his head in assent, though he seemed anxious to waive the further discussion of a subject that appeared painful. The impatient Duncan now made several hasty and desperate propositions to attempt the release of the sisters. Monroe seemed to shake off his apathy, and listened to the wild schemes of the young man with a deference that his gray hairs and reverend years should have denied. But the scout after suffering the ardor of the lover to expand itself a little, found means to convince him of the folly of precipitation, in a manner that would require their coolest judgment and utmost fortitude. It would be well, he added, to let this man go in again as usual, and for him to tarry in the lodges, giving notice to the gentle ones of our approach, until we call him out by signal to consult. You know the cry of a crow, friend, from the whistle of a whippoorwill? "'Tis a pleasing bird,' returned David, "'and has a soft and melancholy note, though the time is rather quick and ill-measured.' "'He speaks of the wish-ton-wish,' -wish, said the scout. "'Well, since you like his whistle, it shall be your signal. Remember, then, when you hear the whippoorwill's call three times repeated, you are to come into the bushes where the bird might be supposed. Stop! interrupted Hayward. I will accompany him. You? exclaimed the astonished Hawkeye. Are you tired of seeing the sun rise and set? David is living proof that the Hurons can be merciful. Aye, 
but David can use his throat, as no man in his senses would pervert the gift. I, too, can play the madman, the fool, the hero. In short, any or everything to rescue her I love. Name your objections no longer. I am resolved. Hawkeye regarded the young man a moment in speechless amazement, but Duncan, who in deference to the other skill and services had hitherto submitted, somewhat implicitly to his dictation, now assumed the superior, with a manner that was not easily resisted. He waved his hand in sign of his dislike to all remonstrance, and then, in more tempered language, he continued, You have the means to disguise. Change me. Paint me too, if you will. In short, alter me to anything. A fool. It is not for one like me to say that he who is already formed by so powerful a hand as Providence stands in need of a change, muttered the discontented scout. When you send your parties abroad in war, you find it prudent, at least, to arrange the marks and places of encampment in order that they who fight on your side may know when and where to expect a friend. Listen, interrupted Duncan. You have heard from this faithful follower of the captives that the Indians are of two tribes, if not of different nations, with one whom you think to be a branch of the Delawares, is she you call the dark hair. The other, and younger of the ladies, is undeniably with our declared enemies, the Huron. It becomes my youth and rank to attempt the latter adventure, while you, therefore, are negotiating with your friends for the release of one of the sisters. I will effect that of the other, or die. The awakened spirit of the young soldier gleamed in his eyes, and his form became imposing under its influence. Hawkeye, though too much accustomed to Indian artifices, not to foresee the danger of the experiment, knew not well how to combat this sudden resolution. Perhaps there was something in the proposal that suited his own hardy nature, and that secret love of desperate adventure, which had increased with his experience until hazard and danger had become in some measure necessary to the enjoyment of his existence. Instead of continuing to oppose the scheme of Duncan, his humor suddenly altered, and he lent himself to its execution. Come, he said with a good-humored smile, the buck that will take to the water must be headed and not followed. Chingachgook has as many different paints as the engineer's officer's wife, who takes down nature on scraps of paper, making the mountains look like crocks of rusty hay, and placing the blue sky in reach of your hand. The sagamore can use them, too. Seat yourself on the log, and my life on it. He can soon make a natural fool of you and that well to your liking. Duncan complied, and the Mohican, who had been an attentive listener to their discourse, readily undertook the office. Long practiced in all the subtle arts of his race, he drew with great dexterity and quickness the fantastic shadow that the natives were accustomed to consider as the evidence of a friendly and jocular disposition. Every line that could possibly be interpreted into a secret inclination for war 
was carefully avoided, while, on the other hand, he studied those conceits that might be construed into amity. In short, he entirely sacrificed every appearance of the warrior to the masquerade of a buffoon. Such exhibitions were not uncommon among the Indians, and, as Duncan was already sufficiently disguised in his dress, there certainly did exist some reason for believing that, with his knowledge of French, he might pass for a juggler from Ticonderoga, straggling among the allied and friendly tribes. When he was thought to be sufficiently painted, the scout gave him much friendly advice, concerted signals, and appointed the place where they should meet in the event of mutual success. The parting between Monroe and his young friend was more melancholy. Still, the former submitted to the separation with an indifference that his warm and honest nature would never have permitted in a more healthful state of mind. The scout led Hayward aside and acquainted him with his intention to leave the veteran in some safe encampment in charge of Chingachgook, while he and Uncas pursued their inquiries among the people they had reason to believe were Delawares. Then, renewing his cautions and advice, he concluded by saying, with the solemnity and warmth of feeling with which Duncan was deeply touched, And now, God bless you, you have shown a spirit that I like, for it is the gift of youth, more especially one of warm blood and a stout heart. But believe the warning of a man who has reason to know all he says to be true. You will have occasion for your best manhood, and for a sharper wit than what is to be gathered in books afore you outdo the cunning or get the better of the courage of a Mingo. God bless you. If the Hurons master your scalp, rely on the promise of one who has two stout warriors to back him. They shall pay for their victory with a life for every hair it holds. I say, young gentlemen, may Providence bless your undertaking, which is altogether for good. And remember that to outwit the knaves it is lawful to practice things that may not be naturally the gift of a white skin. Duncan shook his worthy and reluctant associate warmly by the hand. Once more recommended the aged friend to his care, and returning his good wishes, he motioned to David to proceed. Hawkeye gazed after the high-spirited and adventurous young man for several moments, in open admiration. Then, shaking his head doubtingly, he turned, and led his own division of the party into the concealment of the forest. The route taken by Duncan and David lay directly across the clearing of the beavers, and along the margin of their pond. When the former found himself alone with one so simple, and so little qualified to render any assistance in desperate emergencies, he first began to be sensible of the difficulties of the task he had undertaken. The fading light increased the gloominess of the bleak and savage wilderness that stretched so far on every side of him, and there was even a fearful character in the stillness of those little huts that he knew were so abundantly peopled. It struck him as he gazed at the admirable structures, 
and the wonderful precautions of their sagacious inmates, that even the brutes of these vast wilds were possessed of an instinct nearly commensurate with his own reason, and he could not reflect, without anxiety, on the unequal contest that he had so rashly courted. Then came the glowing image of Alice, her distress, her actual danger, and all the peril of his situation was forgotten. Cheering David, he moved on, with the light and vigorous step of youth and enterprise. After making nearly a semicircle around the pond, they diverged from the watercourse and began to ascend to the level of a slight elevation in that bottomland over which they journeyed. Within half an hour they gained the margin of another opening that bore all the signs of having been also made by the beavers, and which those sagacious animals had probably been induced, by some accident, to abandon for the more eligible position they now occupied. A very natural sensation caused Duncan to hesitate a moment, unwilling to leave the cover of their bushy path, as a man pauses to collect his energies before he essays any hazardous experiment, in which he is secretly conscious they will all be needed. He profited by the halt to gather such information as might be obtained from his short and hasty glances. On the opposite side of the clearing, and near the point where the brook tumbled over some rocks, from a still higher level, some fifty or sixty lodges, rudely fabricated of logs, brush, and earth intermingled, were to be discovered. They were arranged without any order, and seemed to be constructed with very little attention to neatness or beauty. Indeed, so very inferior were they in the two latter particulars to the village Duncan had just seen, that he began to expect a second surprise no less astonishing than the former. This expectation was in no degree diminished when, by the doubtful twilight, he beheld twenty or thirty forms rising alternately from the cover of the tall coarse grass in front of the lodges, and then sinking again from the sight, as it were, to burrow in the earth. By the sudden and hasty glimpses that he caught of these figures, they seemed more like dark, glancing specters or some other unearthly beings, than creatures fashioned with the ordinary and vulgar materials of flesh and blood. A gaunt naked form was seen for a single instant, tossing its arms wildly in the air, and then the spot it had filled was vacant, the figure appearing suddenly in some other and distant place, or being succeeded by another, possessing the same mysterious character. David, observing that his companion lingered, pursued the direction of his gaze, and in some measure recalled the recollection of Hayward by speaking. "'There is much fruitful soil, uncultivated here,' he said, "'and I may add, without the sinful leaven of self-commendation, that since my short sojourn in these heathenish abodes, much good seed has been scattered by the wayside. The tribes are founder of the chase than of the arts of men of labor, returned the unconscious Duncan, still gazing at the objects of his wonder. It is rather joy than labor to the spirit, to lift up the voice in praise. But sadly do these boys abuse their gifts, 
rarely have i found any of their age on whom nature has so freely bestowed the elements of psalmody and surely surely there are none who neglect them more three nights have i now tarried here and three several times have i assembled the urchins to join in sacred song and as often have they responded to my efforts with whoopings and howlings that have chilled my soul of whom speak you of those children of the devil who waste the precious moments in yonder idle antics ah the wholesome restraint of discipline is but little known among this self-abandoned people in a country of birches a rod is never seen and it ought not to appear a marvel in my eyes that the choicest blessings of providence are wasted in such cries as these david closed his ears against the juvenile pack whose yell just then rang shrilly through the forest and duncan suffering his lip to curl as in mockery of his own superstition said firmly we will proceed without removing the safeguards from his ears the master of song complied and together they pursued their way toward what david was sometimes wont to call the quote, tents of the philistines unquote. end of chapter 22 this reading by gary w sherwin of yukon pennsylvania in the autumn of 2007What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.